Hi, I'm Bob Witte with KPND in Sandpoint, Idaho. If I can be a fan of Skylight Books, LA's world-famous independent bookstore, from way up here in the Idaho Panhandle, then you can too from wherever you are. Visit the website, buy some books. You can even join their membership club and reap the benefits of supporting independent booksellers. Thanks. softer side meet me on the softer side softer side of your heart hi there and welcome to the skylight books author reading series you can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online you can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Also, you can find Leela Howland at Twitter on Twitter at Leela Howland, just like it says. And without further ado, let me introduce her. She's a graduate of Georgetown University, and she spent five years acting in New York in everything from an MTV public service announcement for safe sex to a John Guare play at Lincoln Center. And she was a proud company member of the award-winning Flea Company Theater in Tribeca. Currently, she teaches high school English and English as a second language in downtown LA, and she occasionally moonlights as an extra on The Young and the Restless. <laughs> Nantucket Blue is her very first novel. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Leela Howland. Um. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much, Skylight Books. Um, Skylight Books was like a haven for me when I first moved from New York. Um, I love this place, so I'm so happy to be here tonight. And thank you all for coming. Um, I just wanted to say a few words, and then I'm going to read um, a brief passage, and then I'd love to take any questions you have. Um, I've always had this very creative spirit, but I, it took me a long time to find the right home for it. Um, when, I'm, when I first graduated from college, I uh, wrote a lot of poetry. And I think that really helped me sort of find cliches and identify cliches. And then I wrote uh, fiction for little kids. And that, I think, helped me learn how to tell a story very economically. And then I wrote fiction for middle grade kids. And that helped me sort of cultivate a more playful, humorous tone and kind of find the fine line between charming and kooky. Um, <laughs> and then I wrote nonfiction. And I think that helped me um, uh, find how to say the truth to really find an emotional truth in my writing. Um, and then I wrote screenplays. And that helped me um, learn how to um, construct a story. And then I wrote novels for adults. And that helped me learn how to write in the long form. But it wasn't until I like, rediscovered YA as an adult that I felt like I had a home. 
as soon as I read, um, there were a couple books that my agent sent me that I read and devoured in two afternoons, back to back, these books. And I just knew as I was taking in the words that this is where I belonged. And uh, it felt so good, finally. I tried so many apartments, and then I found my home. Um, there's something about the genre that uh, is accessible. Oh, I was also an actress, of course. Um, and I think that the drama of that age um, sort of somehow aligns very well with having been an actress. Um, things, you want things so badly at that age. It's so important. The stakes are so high. And I see it um, in, with my high school students. You know, they have to listen to this song right now at like an extremely high decibel. Or they must grope their lover right now. <laughs> You cannot wait to find a car or a hidden hallway. <laughs> so, I mean, the intensity of those feelings um, really uh, helped me connect with this genre and um, made it so much fun to write. And I found that my sort of playful spirit, it, there was room in YA for both that, that playful, youthful spirit and also the kind of older soul that I feel I also have. <laughs> So anyway, that's how I found um, YA. That's how Nantucket Blue kind of came to be. And uh, now I'm going to read a short passage. Um, this is, uh, Cricket is on Nantucket at this point. And um, she's heading out to a party uh, where her best friend is, uh, which she wasn't really invited, but she's going to go anyway and give it a try. And uh, I guess that's all I'll say. I'll start reading. Her friend told her there was no room in the Jeep, so she couldn't get a ride. No room in the Jeep, no problem. Gavin had said it would be fine for me to borrow one of the inn's bikes as long as a guest wasn't using it. And Sconset was only six miles away by Milestone Road. It would probably only take me a half hour at the most. I chose a blue bike with a big basket. It looked kind of old, but it was the only one with a low enough seat. As I rode the bike out of the garden, Gavin waved to me from the kitchen window where he was cooking ratatouille for his chiropractor girlfriend, Melissa, a glass of red wine in his hand. The moon was so bright, I had a shadow. There was something freeing about the whole thing, about getting myself there without waiting for someone else to take me, about the air, which felt soft and smelled like hay, and listening to the invisible insects. Jeeps and mopeds sped past me, some of them blasting music, but there were long stretches of road that were quiet, just me, my breath, my shadow, and the sound of the wheels whirring on the pavement. The best part was that I wasn't afraid of being alone at night. This is why people come to Nantucket, I thought, so they don't have to be afraid at night. I coasted around a rotary. Sconset was its own little town with a coffee shop, a market, and the smallest post office I'd ever seen. I was in front, in front of some kind of country club, the flags out front snapping in the wind. I remembered that I needed to bear right to get to Sand Dollar Lane. It wasn't long before I found it. It was pretty obvious where the party was from the sounds of the kids talking. The conversations were clear, even a few houses away. I hopped off my bike and walked it down a driveway. My legs were wobbly and I was thirsty. My heart was beating fast, 
snapping like that country club flag, and my pretty green tank top was sticking to my back. I wished I'd brought a sweater. I wanted to cover up. As I was looking for a good place to put the bike, against the house, inside the half-open garage, I stumbled, my ankles suddenly soft as custard, and dropped the bike. It bounced off a rock. I picked it up and placed it gingerly against the house. Pull it together, I thought, and applied more lip gloss. You're fine. <laughs> I heard Jules's laugh, her unmistakable ha, and a chill went through me. I should have gotten back on that bike and turned around, because I actually did know then, the way you just know sometimes, what was about to happen. You don't need a worry doctor to know that's what the jelly legs are all about. But for some reason, even though it was blasting as loud as a mattress commercial, I just couldn't hear the truth. So I straightened up and walked right into that party, practically begging for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if anybody has any questions, but I'll give you an answer. I'll try. <laughs> yes. Can you talk about Cricket a little bit, like where she came from? Oh yeah, Cricket is the protagonist, and um, I oh I went to an all-girls school for most of my education, and there were always girls like a few years older who I just worshipped, who just seemed to like have it all. And I couldn't imagine that they had any problems or any conflicts in their life. And they were so, most of them were athletes and most of them had, were pretty. And I sort of thought, I don't know, that, that person, that sort of archetype has always captured my imagination. And I wondered what that life was like and what conflicts she actually did have. What it was like to be that sort of golden girl. What happens when that golden girl, when everything goes wrong for her? Thank you. Yes? Um, I was just wondering if you started high school teaching before you wrote the book or after. Um, if it was before, did the language of your students inform the language of your book? And if it was after, did you find a difference in the way you wrote their voices and the way they actually sounded? That's, yes. It, actually, this, is a, this was a big moment for me because... Um, I was kind of scared of high schoolers. And I had, like, I, I said I wrote for all, in all these different genres. Like, I wrote for little kids and I wrote for adults, but I really skipped out on the teenagers because I was scared of them. And then um, my assistant principal told me that if I would like to remain employed, a good way to do that was to <laughs> work with high school, was to work with this high school, urban high school population. And I was really terrified, especially because a friend of mine had had a job at that school and the kids had been like nightmares and and she'd quit within a couple of hours and I was like no I won't do it but then I realized I could get health insurance I was still single and as soon as I realized I could get health insurance that was like I this is an offer I can't refuse so um I I I had an easier situation than my friend because it was a one on more of one on one learning, um, and I that actually that is what unlocked my fear because once I started working with the high schoolers, I felt like they weren't people I needed to be afraid of. In some cases, they were like security was always on my speed dial, but um, <laughs> for the most part, it was really. But for the most part. Um, 
I really loved communicating with them and I felt like I felt at ease with them and that time of life that is so dramatic and so exciting was really right in my face and so it really did influence my decision to start writing YA. And they, Cricket is, lives such a different life than the students I worked with and work with but um, so I don't know how much she influenced the dialogue, they influenced the dialogue, but definitely like the emotional tenor, absolutely. How about your acting career? How does that inform your characters? I feel like um, acting is like, was the most humbling sort of thing I've ever done, so, um, <laughs> so uh, I've felt like all the empathy, like it really developed my sense of empathy because I was both constantly humbled and then it, the craft, it's the craft of acting, you know, I feel like it, it really is at its heart about empathy and that if you can have empathy with the characters in your book, it just unlocks the writing. So it definitely influenced it. And also, um, as an actor, I remember getting, it was so important when I got a scene to know, all right, what does this person want in the scene? Otherwise, you're just sort of like, this scene can be really like, but if you know what the character wants, then the scene has bones. And so it influenced my writing by thinking like, all right, in every scene, what does this person want more than anything? And what's stopping them? Brandy. Hey. Um, <laughs> 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 okay, so um, um, how long were you working on this before you realized like this was a book you actually had to finish? You know, like it was starting to come together. You know, it happened pretty quickly. This, like, my the the book that I'd written before this was a novel for. Uh, it was like an adult novel, but that doesn't sound right. It was um, a novel for grown-ups. And I spent like three years on that novel. And uh, it was making, it was actually making the rounds in New York. And the feedback I was getting was like, the voice is so, so too young. It's too young. It's too young. And um, I was taking that information in and then really racing against the clock before the last publishing house in New York had a chance to reject me, I really wanted a completed project because I was just, it was like survival. Like, please, this can't happen again. I need to have something else finished. So it was like, it, you know what, it was nine months there. It took me nine months, pretty much, which is a lot less than three years. <laughs> yeah. The setting is so rich and well, I spent one summer there when I was 18, and it was the first time, thank you for this, a good question, it's the first time I felt like um, an outsider. I went on my own, and I wasn't par part of a family that had a big house there, and so I was a worker as opposed to um, a kid spending the summer there and it was the first time in my life that I was like wait a second here I'm somehow excluded and I really don't like it and what is this about and I it really it was the first time I felt that way um, which maybe is late I don't know but it was um, and 
it's also so it was it had a, like a profound effect on me because I was lonely um, and I was very young I was 18 and I and I really took in what was around me because I was alone um, but it's also so beautiful and it's so unique it's one of these places that just can't they've really protected themselves against chain stores and commercialism and they have like the sort of the internal money to maintain a pristine almost movie set of a New England oasis and it just screamed this is the perfect setting <laughs> and I, I also thought it was so beautiful it's just it's really the beaches are totally pristine and um, the town is very historical cobblestone streets um, the buildings are beautifully maintained it just is the architecture is all so true to its time it has such personality it's really out to sea I mean it's 40 miles out to sea and the next stop is Portugal and you can sort of feel that you are separated from the mainland kind of a long-winded answer yes say hi Sarah um, I was curious about speaking of empathy which you were earlier, I was curious about Jules. I, I can't remember where I saw it, but you mentioned somewhere that you were believed you know, people seem to have a more empathic reaction to Jules. So the question is two parts. One is what other reactions were people having to her? And also, uh, how was it for you structuring the character to just some pretty unrelated things and yet it's still real? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about Jules. For those of you who haven't read the book, Jules is the friend who, um, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but she has a, tr a, she, she has a tragedy in her life. And she responds by shutting out Cricket. And um, I, when I was writing it, I did not think that people would react, the readers would react to Jules the way they did. I thought they would like her. I thought they would understand that this horrible thing had happened to her and that's why she was acting the way she was acting. But there's a lot of the readers um, who I don't know, you know, are saying, oh, she's terrible, she's terrible, I hate her, I hate her. And uh, so I wonder on some level if I failed a little bit there because I don't want, but my, the idea was that sh she was trans transferring all of her anger and all of her frustration and all of her rage onto one person to manage it because it was so devastating. Um, and that's what I was thinking when I was writing. Um, and I was also always trying to heighten the conflict. And usually that resulted in Jules shutting out Cricket again. Because as soon as they're friends again, the story's over. I mean, for this book, it's like that's the main conflict. So, I mean, part of that was just trying to keep this the story alive and um, and I, it also felt organic and real to me though it wasn't just like plotting mach machinations I felt that that um, that cricket was collateral damage um, in Jules's tragedy oh thank you Sarah's a therapist thank you <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I know, I know, but it's good. It makes me a little sad when I read that readers hate her. I guess it's its kids who say. Yeah. Much more, a lot of Yeah. And I, I think that I know what it feels like to feel as though you've betrayed somebody and also to feel as though you've been betrayed and that conflict is really interesting to me the idea that you have just as a human being you've really hurt somebody and that they've really hurt you too and then how are you going to act with each other now and how do you both deal with that pain and separation so that was very interesting to me, to, and I was writing about it. <laughs> yes? I'm just curious about the difference in your process between like your novel writing and your screenwriting. Does it manifest differently as you go about it, or is it the same? Well, I didn't spend that much time screenwriting. <laughs> I spent a lot more time novel writing. I realized like that it probably wasn't my thing. I mean, it took a couple years, but as opposed to like the 15 years I was spending with prose. But um, I do tend to, st to structure ahead of time and outline very heavily, and then it usually changes. But I do structure a lot, and I did learn that from screenwriting, because you can't get away with it as far as I'm concerned in screenwriting, in any kind of commercial screenwriting. I mean, remotely commercial, like without a real structure and I found it to be a huge relief that there was something that there was something you could work that was something you could get a handle on at all and so I think it really helped my novel writing oh my goodness no go ahead uh, one of the aspects of the novel that I enjoyed the most was it had a kind of timeless quality to it oh thank you Easily take place in 1970 and as well as 2013, and I was just wondering: was it a conscious decision to leave out kind of the signatures of the period? Like when I first started, when I heard the premise and I first started, I thought, okay, there, there might be a lot of tweets or Facebook posts in this novel, and that was absent. And I thought, I think the novel's better because of it. And I was just wondering if that was if you consciously decided not to include stuff that was of the moment. I did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. <laughs> It removes so many obstacles, and it felt like um, they're on this faraway island, and they're in a very natural setting, and um, there are a couple text messages, but I just didn't want Facebook. It just didn't contribute to my story. Yeah. So, but, <laughs> but it's a good question, because I did have to think about it. I did have to think, like, all right, I'm either going to ignore it, or, and I thought, well, text messaging you can't ignore. But it seemed like an easy tool when I was reading it, and then I thought it was a little stronger because of its absence. Thank you. Amy? Can you tell us anything about Nantucket Red? Yeah. Spoiling people who haven't read Nantucket Blue. Yeah, there's a sequel coming out next summer. <laughs> and um, it's called Nantucket Red. And I will say that Jules and Cricket are back on the island. <laughs> Zach is there too. Um, there's a new well. That's there's other complications. <laughs> They're a little bit older. They're about to go to college. 
So, but I think there's a lot of stuff that's unresolved in this book that gets more attention in the next one. Yes, and then. Have your students read it? Are they allowed Oh, no. Actually, <laughs> um, I, this is embarrassing to in front of my principals, my former principals. I was like bragging one day. I was like, well, I'm not gonna be here because my book has been published. <laughs> and I have other responsibilities tomorrow, so. And they honestly were like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> they said it in more colorful language, actually. <laughs> They, it was so humbling. Like that was my like teach me to brag. Like they 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 were just like flattened me in a second. They were like, you know, is it Fifty Shades of Grey? Is it? <laughs> and and not one of them has asked about it since. <laughs> so they are not impressed. <laughs> oh well, well. I think that's, oh, one more, one more. This is my last question, yes. So as you were writing and we hit some walls, what got you over that? What got you to complete the book? What got you through the hard time? Well, I was racing against this clock that I felt like I was being defeated, and I was with that other book in New York, and I really wanted to finish before. I, I was sort of racing against the, the rejection of the other one. It was like a compulsion to um, have something in the works so that when, if, and when that one was totally, you know, DOA, I would not, I would have protected myself with something else and say, okay, well, here's this. So that's was like the motivation. And then um, I was working a lot. I mean, I was working every day. I was. I was teaching, so I had to structure my, if I wasn't structured, I wouldn't have any time to write. So I felt like I set up a structure and I really stuck to it because um, I want this, I wanted this other part of my life that wasn't my teaching life to be able to live. And so I structured my time pretty severely and in a good way. Yeah, thank you. All right, Leela Howland, ladies and gentlemen, Leela Howland. Please uh, stick around. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.